0: Okay, so we're here at the Game Dev Grit Podcast, Episode 3, and we're here with Harlequin. And why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Game developed from Australia, right? That's all I know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I come from Australia. My name is Harlequin. Um, I do... My main majority of it is, like, my game development is horror. Centered around horror and... um, you know, just, I did get into it um, back in 2014, I think. I started out with working with my brother, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, we made a game called, called Eye of the Curse, so that was a bit of a horror game um, where the goal is... To avoid ghosts and you're walking around this catacomb and you got to try and build a bridge and get over it type thing i don't know the structure of it wasn't very solid but it was just a prototype at the time
0: yeah that's the stuff i want to talk about so you just said you worked on it with your brother so who did what
1: well my brother did character design and he also did a bit of modeling and stuff like that i also did the level editing and also the programming at the time i was just new to playmaker and i decided to start you know using playmaker and from there it's been my go-to for a lot of my projects and i used unity as well i probably should mention that
0: yeah and i i think that's that's how we came to know each other because when i first started i was using playmaker and i was looking for a way to do dialogue and I found your YouTube channel because you were using the di- this dialogue system, which I don't remember the name of, but I saw it and I thought it was cool. And I bought it and used it in one of my games. And I think I yeah, missed with you.
1: Yeah, that's right. It was the localized se- serialization dialogue or something, like cutscene editor or something like that. Yeah. yeah. I forgot the name to it too.
0: So in that first game or the game you were talking about, um, what did you do right in that? What did you do wrong? What did you learn from doing it?
1: Well, I learned that Playmaker is, like, you can do a lot of stuff with it. And at the time, even though I didn't know much, I was getting the hang of it. So what I did right was that I started learning how to, like, use Playmaker, right, in my project. And also, like, um, and what I did wrong is probably trying to import assets that Broke my whole project. <laughs> so, a note to self never use assets that are broken. Otherwise, it'll break your project.
0: Yeah, I learned that one too. And I think the thing to really watch out for is that some of the assets will try to overwrite your settings, like your game settings. Yeah, that's. And I think in the newer version of Unity, now there's a warning that says, Warning, this will overwrite your settings.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's good that they've got that in there.
0: And I remember, too, when I started out, just to share another tip on it, um, I would import assets, like new assets, into my main project. And then I saw people talking. They're like, oh, I create a separate project, import them into there, clean them up, and then import them into my main. And at the time, I was like, that's overkill. But that's exactly what I do now, too.
1: (laughs) Yeah. um, I, I have the tendency to look at the package that I'm importing into my project and be like, now what do I need and what I don't need? So like, for example, if it's an animation pack, I've got like this animation pack done by this artist called Kubold and he does some brilliant animations on the Unity Asset Store. But like, I've looked at his packages and they come with like playmaker character controllers and stuff like that. And you're like, no, I don't really need all those old scripts, those old playmaker actions. I don't need all of them. I just want the animations, So I just import the animations and not worry about the scenes or the demo scenes or anything like that.
0: Yeah. So there's a tip right there. So when you're importing assets, strip them out first and make sure it's only what you need.
1: Yeah. Yeah, otherwise you'll get compilers, trust me.
0: And also, you know, the more scripts you have in their project, the longer it takes to compile and build and all that stuff. So I try to minimize the number of scripts. So I'm really hesitant when it comes to importing loads of scripts that come with assets. Yeah. So you mentioned, um, that's one thing I think. You mentioned um, getting motions or animations from the asset store, which I feel is a huge thing that we have with Unity. I think Unreal has it too. That like before, you know, you'd have to animate it all yourself. But like I come from animation, but I don't even want to animate anything. I'm more than happy to like get those libraries because they're all set up, right? It's just
1: yeah, yeah. I've spent like oh my god, I've spent buckets loads on assets from the asset store. It's crazy. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> every
0: time there's a sale, like I'm so crazy. When there's a sale, I'll look through every page of all the assets.
1: Yeah, it's it's crazy. I've I've probably got more assets on my Steam game library. I've got 400 games in my Steam library. <laughs> I've got a, Yeah, I've got I've got a, a bit of a collection, but like. A lot of content there I could refer to, you know, like... Yeah, and there's...
0: I mean, the thing to be said for the assets, it's like, I do programming, but it's not like my thing. I just want to make games. So if you just want to make games, like I met with this game developer guy right now who's starting this new project, and he's not that familiar with Unity, and I told him, hey, man, before you try to do a system, ask me, because I might be able to refer you to an asset that can do it for you. And I think... You know, that gives us a lot of power as individual creators or small teams that we can utilize these assets. But, um, yeah, you can get bogged down in them too. But I think they're a huge thing if you know how to use them and find good ones.
1: Yeah, but then you you get addicted to it and you're like, oh, there's an asset here. I could use that. But you never end up using it.
0: Yeah, do you you feel guilt? Do you feel guilt when you send those to the bin? I do. When I go through my assets and I like I bought that and I never used it, I have to send it to the bin.
1: <laughs> never sent anything to the bin, actually. No. I've I've just no, I've I've just left them there in a long ass list that I have to sort through. Oh,
0: okay. <laughs> hey, so being a prolific asset purchaser, what are your top five or top three assets that are like the best ones that you would use in everything?
1: When I first first Pro Builder first came out I'm like, okay, I've got to get this. Cost me like a hundred and something dollars, right? But then it became free. So that's something I always put into my projects is- hey, pro ProBuilder. It's ProBuilder. I always normally put in Playmaker or Bolt. So those two. And what else? Um, Slate for cutscenes.
0: If you, um, I noticed you said Playmaker and Bolt, so I have I bought Bolt in a sale, but I, I just used it a little bit. For people that are coming to Unity that aren't coding and using a system like that, how can you compare the two? Playmaker and Bolt?
1: Playmaker and Bolt? Well, Playmaker is a state-based machine, where Bolt is node-based. Which one's
0: easier to use, or how, what's the experience like for you?
1: Oh, well... I've used Playmaker for years. So Playmaker would actually probably be the most easiest one for me because I know it, but like from a beginner's point of view, Playmaker would be the easiest one. Bolt has a steeper learning curve. It's much quicker and it's more intuitive. Oh God. (laughs) It's, It's much quicker, right? with doing the flows and doing you, your macros or whatnot, like all your state-type state, state type things in it, it does have a state machine functionality, sort of a bit like Playmaker, but not. It's a bit different. It's like you create your macros, your... Um, they're called macros, and they're basically like node, node trees, like mm-hmm. nodes that sort of like in unreal engine like the blueprint. Yeah. Yeah, and so how do I word this? So would it be,
0: would it be kind of like the run FSM in playmaker where you can get a state machine and then crunch it down to one node? And then so you're taking a bunch of like a whole tree and putting it down to one is it something like that?
1: Well, it's more like you know how in playmaker you've got actions, right? Well, with Bolt, your macros, right? Your, um, um, what are they called? Um, your flow graphs, right? Are basically you creating actions without programming. And then you've got the state machine where you can apply in, within those different states, your actions that you've created. If that makes sense, that's the best way I can describe it. So
0: let's say playmaker, you're using the states that have been already made, and then in Bolt, you're like making your own actions and then putting them together using their own state machines or however you want. Is it something like that?
1: It's sort of, but it's more along the lines of like um, blueprint. It's it's it looks like blueprint, but with Unity-based naming conventions. Okay. So it's it's hard to it's hard to explain, but
0: so if you were going to start again, like let's say you knew nothing about playmaker and you were presented and you got Bolt and playmaker, which one would you go with if you had to choose?
1: I'd probably choose playmaker over Bolt, but okay. I'm slowly transitioning over to Bolt to get the hang of that, so I can really actually see which one I'd prefer better. Does
0: that okay. make sense?
1: Like which yeah. one would be the one that I would go for? I don't know enough about Bolt at this early stage to actually have a proper um, opinion on the matter. Um, like with Playmaker though, Playmaker is great. It's 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 pretty good. But one problem I have is when your SF FSMs um, get too big, it slows right down, and it takes forever for like to move it. like pan. You and mean
0: when we make, when
1: we like make spaghetti? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when you make spaghetti, so- it slows right down and you, you can, oh. <laughs> but um, Bolt seems a lot quicker. There was um, one time I was working with a weather system, Unistorm, and I managed to sync over a network through the Photon network. I managed to use both Playmaker and Bolt right? To see which one could do it better. So I managed to sync over the network, the weather system and the day and night cycle um, with using Playmaker. But when too many people joined, it will go out of sync. Then I used Bolt and I was able to do it with a little bit of coding, was able to do it pretty much similar to how you will do it with Playmaker. But there was no there was no out of sync when it came to the weather.
0: Is that something for a project you're working on now or what what project are you working on right now?
1: What project am I working on right now? I'm working on Toybox Unleashed. Um, That's the main project I'm working on.
0: Just describe it to our listeners. What kind of game is it? What are you doing in it?
1: Toybox Unleashed is a horror type uh, maze runner, sort of like Pac-Man and you play as like a kid that has been taken from his room from into a toy box and like these creatures come out of the toy box and and they take you to their world and they just play like these like weird games or something it's hard to explain like the story that's one thing i wanted to bring up in this is like storytelling
0: yeah, I just remembered. I was like, the whole reason we're doing this podcast is because we were having a conversation through email and you asked me about something that I'm working on trying to research. So I was like, hey, let's do it for this podcast. So let's get into that stuff. What did we want to talk about?
1: Game design is very difficult. I know that. But storytelling and trying to get a point across to somebody is much harder. It's it's like like to tell a story and to make it sound good Sorry, it's just freezing here. I've got the shakes. (laughs) It's winter here. But anyway, to tell a story is much difficult, especially someone like me who can't tell a story to say.
0: But you can. That's the thing, because, see, I come from storytelling, and I think game development is really difficult, and storytelling is easy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Maybe we should collab one day.
0: Did you – because – uh so it's something I talked – we talked about in episode two and I – or episode one. One of the previous episodes, if you look in the show links, maybe it was one. Um, and I know I posted a link to my workflow thing, so maybe you Googled it. But it was that Japanese thing, the Nintendo game design thing.
1: Yeah.
0: show ten Kets and that four-part way, and that's the way Nintendo – Um, creates their levels and their design and it's based on a concept from making manga from you know japanese comic books as a storytelling um technique and like that technique right there that's that's pretty much a story like in that little four-part thing Mm. Um, but i mean the thing with storytelling in games is difficult because you can't control the player so is that what you're saying like storytelling in a game
1: yeah, well, I've found um points, right, where in-game development where you're like, okay, so how am I going to make, like, for example, I do horror, how am I going to make a jump scare where the players will actually acknowledge that a jump scare just happened, okay, without turning the camera away and looking at something else that's on a wall or something like that for some some God knows reason and missing the jump scare? Like, for example, in Eye of the Curse, I had a scene where a creature would run across a hole, but you could easily turn to your left or turn to your right and miss what just happened, and all you hear is a sound. Does that make sense? Yeah. And you're like, what What was that? They completely missed it. So it's really oh. hard to get, like like, point the player in the direction that you want them to go, but at the same time have it so that they're free to do whatever
0: they want instead of it. So you mean without using a cut scene or something that takes control of the camera?
1: Yeah. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, so there's the... So you read a lot of stuff talking about implicit versus explicit storytelling and level design mm. and stuff I found. And so there's one style, I think it's the explicit, I think that's the one, where it's like you take control of the camera, you do a cut scene, you're directly telling the player what you want them to know about the story, you know, and then there's the implicit where the story is in the level design itself, writing on a wall, stuff like that. But that's for the player to discover. So I think yeah, we, we have to decide, okay, do I want explicit or implicit? If it's something they cannot possibly miss because it's that important, then you probably want to do explicit. If it's not, then you can go the implicit. So I think, you just have to decide, you know, if it's that important, then you just need to take control and show it to them. Yeah. It's like, um, I, I think that's fine. Like I think of some of my favorite points. I like the resident evil series a lot. Um, mm. And I really like the points where you first discover a new monster and then it shows a cutscene of how horrible and disgusting it is, you know, and then mm. it goes back to gameplay. I find that really effective. Yeah. Cause it's like you're, You're making little horror movies inside of your games for your monsters and stuff, you know?
1: Yeah, that's... So
0: in that moment where, like, there's the corridor and the thing goes by, I think it's totally fine just to go to a quick cutscene, like, takes control of the camera, we see the thing exactly how you want to show it, and then right back to gameplay. Hmm. And then, you know, then the implicit for that would be like a blood trail or something where it was or, you know, you leave something behind dead body or something that just carries on that storytelling that you just, you know, brought in.
1: Yeah. The main project I'm working on, um, Toybox Unleashed, is a lot of like, like the, the there's I had the cutscene in it, like sort of like this, uh, like it's first person. And it's sort of like this this person climbing out of bed, like out of a bed and going to the toy box. And I've got this cutscene and then all of a sudden one of the monsters jump out of the toy box and sort of grab at the screen. All right. So that's what you're talking about. Like that's important. And then yeah. the rest of the horror is like, um like I've got it so like toy box is centered around the chase rather than jump scares. Cause I I got like um Like, if you get captured, it doesn't directly jump to a cut, uh, like a jump scare per se, but sort of like it's goofy jump scare, like it freezes for a split second and then it's sort of like, he comes up on screen as a game over thing and all that. And the reason I, like a lot of people, like, I'm doing a bit of a rant here, but a lot of people uh, online were like, it's not scary enough to jump scares and all this. And I'm like, well, because you got five nights at Freddy's for that, you know? <laughs> I'm thinking, like, they didn't understand it. They didn't understand that it was supposed to be goofy. It was supposed to be a little bit of fun, but they sort of, like, miss that.
0: Yeah, I think there's, a like, a, a fine line, a line you have to decide which side of the line you're on. Like, yeah, it's like, you know, make the game you want to make that's different from that, or do exactly as everyone says you know so it's like hey if you're making the game you want to make that's not exactly how they want it and like it you know and and most people just don't pick up on anything at all that isn't shoved in their face and that kind of sounds like what they're saying like you didn't shove it in my face to tell me to be scared so i didn't know you know or something so yeah because there's yeah
1: so yeah i know what you're saying like um i tried to explain myself but no. And I'll, I went back to the drawing board and was like, I okay. mean, if you
0: if you're making the game you want to make and it's going the way that you want to do it, you know, we just have to realize that not all of our games are for everyone. And there's yeah. this marketing guy named Seth Godin, and he has this thing for marketing. And, and it's just like saying that, like, if you're making anything for anybody, it's OK to tell people, well, you know what? This is not for you. Like, that's not bad. That's just, like, you can't make something that makes everybody happy. So if you know what you're doing and it's the way you want it and they're, you know, saying stuff like that, just be like, hey, well, maybe this game's not for you. There's Five Nights at Freddy's, like you said, for that stuff. I'm trying to do something different.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's sometimes, like, it's the criticism that comes with game development that is really, like, challenging too. Like, understanding the criticism. Like, um... May... Like a lot of my stuff, I just used to, like growing up, like when it came to my artwork and my drawings and all that, I just used to show family members that were like, you know, they'll give me a, a clap and be like, that's really good, Luke. And then you've got people like you try and present like you you don't expect it all that much. You don't expect the criticism. And Then when you receive it, you're like, oh shit, did I fuck up, (laughs) you know? And you, it hits you differently because you're not used to it. You're always here. And like with me, I grew up around family and, um, and all that. And when they saw my artwork, they thought it was great when, and now I'm in, in that world of game development where you're going to get criticism. And that's something us as game developers have to like look out for and try and understand. Some of it's negative crit- criticism, and some of it's positive like criticism feedback.
0: Well, I think I think you're you're totally right. And a thing that I've noticed that you have to watch out for is whether that criticism is coming from just regular people, players, or from other game developers. And yeah, so it's like what I've seen. The game developers are pretty weird. Like, there's some nice ones. I'm sure you can meet nice people who are just about trying to make the best game and, you know, are in it for your best interest, you know, not just like. But there's a lot of – I found it in film and other places too. There's a lot of jaded people who, like, gave up on themselves and their projects. And then, you know, they may not be the right people to listen to because they're they're inferring or talking about things that a game player doesn't care about, you know, and won't even see. So – yeah. With criticism you have to kinda, if you can, see where it's coming from to get an idea.
1: Yeah. The, I've always said to myself, like it like game development is like no word of a lie. It's scary, right? But it's fun too. It's exhilarating. It's like skydiving in a way. It's like you're at the edge and you're like, Okay, so I know what I'm gonna I I've gotta do. Jump, right? But then you get to a point where you've got to, like, like it, you fight with yourself, whether I should do it, do it or not, and it's, it's difficult. That's all I'm trying to say. It gets difficult. I mean, that yeah. analogy was
0: terrible. No, it's difficult and terrifying, and like you said, also exciting. I mean, I have moments all the time where I just feel like my heads are going to explode, and like, what am I doing? What's happening? Where is my game? What's working? What's not? What do I have to do? Ah!
1: Like... Yeah. And then, like, when I first posted Toy Box Unleashed online, I was shitting bricks. You have no idea. Like, I was, like, I was so terrified about what people would think because I didn't think it was all that good of a game. I was like, I made it for me. Because when I make. See, the thing is with me and with a lot of people is that. Sometimes the artwork we do is for ourselves, and then we put it out there for other people to see. And it's a piece of ourselves that go with it. And so with me, Toy Box was a piece of myself, a piece of my imagination, a piece of who I am. And I put it out there for people to play and have a proper geezer, you know, and it scared me. And that's one thing that is really scary about game development is when you Put your work out there for others to view, criticize, say something about it, you know. And yeah, it, it just it scared me. Like I got all this positive feedback from my my release of Toy Box Unleashed online. Right, it's on Game Jolt. I'll probably put a link in the notes or something like that. But
0: yeah, we'll post a link to it so people can go check it out. But I mean, you're making the game for other people, though, right? So like. It's eventually have to go somewhere.
1: Yeah, but that's probably where I'm different. <laughs> I'm, I, I want to make a game that I enjoy and that I want to create, right?
0: Yeah, like one you want to play. Yeah.
1: Yeah, One that I've always liked because I've played games before and I'm like, as good as they are, this isn't the sort of game I'm into. And I want to be able to create a game that I like and that I want out there, you know? I don't know, that's probably a selfish way to think of it.
0: No, that's that's what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm making the game I want to play, you know.
1: Yeah, and I do want to make games for people and only people. I refuse to do stuff like microtransactions for mobile games. I refuse to, like I did post a game because I was testing ads and I did put a, a small little Flappy Bird clone on the Google Play Store But I'm going to remove <laughs> it eventually. Um, and I had ads in it, but I was only testing ads. But I, re- but now I refuse to use ads in the game. So if I was ever to make a game, like an actually a fully fledged game, and full on finish it, I would either sell it online, like for a low price, or have it for free. Does that make sense? I, yeah, I don't yeah. want to do like marketing schemes or anything like that I yeah just because good... it
0: like yeah it cheapens you you and the stuff you make i feel the same way
1: yeah and you get an a bad look you get a bad look like for example behazda recently relate released a game right called elder scrolls blades everybody loves used to love behazda but then the fall of fallout 77 6 i think it is and then like their elder scrolls blaze everybody is like have they turned into an ea now you know they're questioning what is the motives behind Bethesda, and that's where i'll
0: but still you're just a dude you're not a big company so i think people give you a little more slack
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know but what i'm trying to say is like one day like one day i'll be a company for sure <laughs> no but I, I love the indie game industry you got your own creativity. You can do what you want to do, not what someone tells you to do.
0: Share your workflow for Toy Box Unleashed. Like, okay, you get the idea, then what do you do? And, a, you know, just a workflow. I wrote it down on paper. I did this. How did you go through getting the idea to making the game?
1: In all honesty, man, when it comes to my game development, that's technically all I sort of know how to do. Like... A lot of things I I can't do, like I can't write stories, but game design, like the programming, the art and all that is all I know how to do. It's sort of like, how do I describe this? I suffer from certain problems and it's sort of like my security blanket. So I do game development because it's something I love doing. Yeah,
0: I get it. So what do you do? You start. Where do, you, yeah, what, do you, start. what do you write down just, what do you
1: what do I write down if you do um, if i do
0: do so you start writing down ideas for scenarios for models for for levels for bosses
1: yeah i sort of like i make mental notes on what a, i don't really actually plan per se that's something i lack so much and that's one of the things in game development if you if you don't take notes then you you hit a wall majority of the time And notes is not my forte, unfortunately. So I just wing it. Majority of the times I create like monsters, like my creatures and stuff like that. And I'm like, I know I can use that, you know. And then I use it, you know, or I create my characters.
0: So when you design a monster, do you design the look of it first and then think about what it's going to do? Or do you think about what it's going to do and then you design it? The look,
1: um, that's a difficult question.
0: So what I mean is, is like, do you think of this crazy monster and you model them, or do you think of like I want a monster that can climb walls, and then you go design it based on that?
1: Oh no, I don't think like that. I create a monster, and I'm like, like for example, with Toy Box, I knew that they had to be toys, like toy looking. So I created like my version of twisted toys that suited the game idea that I had which was basically just a gem collection maze runner sort of like a 3D Pac-Man and I was like okay now I need munted looking creatures like something that just would put the shock into people so I just designed these like creatures with round heads and I just pictured like what would scare me like a smile a smile on a creature that is constantly smiling and chasing you is creepy. (laughs) So I designed a creature based on that fact, you know?
0: Oh, but you see, what you're doing, you are designing based around your mechanics because your mechanic is to scare people, right? So then you base the the monster designs on the mechanic of fear.
1: Well, blow me down, yeah, (laughs) I (laughs) guess. (laughs) I guess you're right, wow. No, I, I just normally thought, like, I just normally thought I wing stuff all the time. I don't really just, I just do it. But maybe you're right. Maybe I do subconsciously or consciously think about.
0: Yeah, because I, I, in a horror game, the mechanic is fear to scare people. So yeah. if, you're, if you're designing monsters on the scaring, then it's the mechanic is the scaring. So. Yeah. So you design monsters. Do you... Do you model them, animate them, do their AI stuff? Like, what's the order that you usually do stuff?
1: All right. So with Toy Box, I went with the level design first. Um, Then I was like, okay, so I've got my level one mapped out. Okay. And then I was like, okay, so I need creatures. So I modeled the creatures. I'm like, that'll do. <laughs> I'm happy with that. I was really happy with it. Now I created a character controller, like it was first person. So at the time I just used the simple first person, um, character controller that comes with unity built in unity. So I just fiddled around with that for a bit. And then I was like, okay, so it's going to be a gem collection. So what I did was map out the first level first and the mechanics and i ran with it i was like okay so i've got my player i've got my gems that i have to collect i've got my counter that counts the gems that you've got to collect and i've got my creature and then i worked on the ai so the ai wasn't until last because i knew that that was going to be a bit of a challenge if that makes sense
0: yeah yeah totally so, yeah, I looked at the Game Joel page and yeah, it looks like a lot of people played it.
1: Yeah, I got <coughs> interesting feedback. Um, unfortunately, some struggles we have um, is malfunctioning computer hardware. So, unfortunately, due to um, the only backup copy I had, my hard drive malfunctioned. So, I lost the original Toy Box stuff. So I have to rebuild it from the ground up. And so that's what I've been doing. And it's been coming along well. Okay.
0: So lesson is always back up online or something.
1: <laughs> yeah. That that's that would be good.
0: <laughs> yeah, I learned from film production, I learned to back up all the time because you know you're animating shots every day and then took a lot of time, so you don't want to you know, lose it. So then I would back up every day onto separate hard drive. So just in case mine died, I had these backups.
1: Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I don't think like that. I think in the moment. So,
0: <laughs> oh, you'll, you'll probably back up now. I hope so. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, of course.
0: Oh, oh you're re- so you're remaking Toy Box Unleashed.
1: Yeah, it. it yeah, I am, but I'm. Go- I get to go back to the 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 pros to it is that I get to go back to the drawing board and replan. plan, okay. and redo. So, what are you going to do differently why. in this version? Well, I'm definitely going to have better graphics because the graphics I used was basically sort of like enhanced mobile graphics. Cause originally the original was going to be for mobile. But then I went to PC because it was just easier. And then in the new version, um, I'm going to have updated graphics, updated character animations. So they look a lot better. I'm going to have voice acting, like proper voice acting, maybe like a little bit of voice acting and like the creatures talk, they will say stuff and lip sync as well. So I'm going to add lip sync instead of them having a static mouth, like in the original, they're going to actually be able to open and shut their mouth.
0: How are you going to do the lip sync? Are you going to do it manually or are you going to use some tool that does it for you?
1: Um, I've got this thing called Robo Digital um, Lip Sync or something like that. It's this um, Unity asset Store package and it does lip sync really well. It's just, it's interesting how they actually do it because you've got to use like um, very low bitrate um audio files that is flattened out to mono or something like that. And then you use that for the lip sync and then you transfer it over. You have two copies. You have your HD audio version and your very low mono version and you use the mono version to get the automatic lip sync and then you replace it with the... HD version. So it's a bit of a okay. mess around, but it works well. It works pretty good.
0: Yeah, so okay, you're remaking that one. Before we end the show, what do you want to leave us with? Your thoughts on game design, what you're working on, the whole thing. Do you have any any final parting words about game development?
1: Well, what I can say is that life throws hurdles at you, and when you're a game developer, the hurdles be real. And you just gotta jump over them and keep on jumping until you cross that finish line and by the end of it the reward is bigger than you can handle probably, hopefully. But yeah, game development is hard, but you just gotta stick to it. You just gotta overcome it, overcome the small little problems you hit, the glitches, the the pains in butts that it is. And then eventually you'll be right. It'll be good.
0: Yeah, I'll I'll add along the same line that try not if like the main thing of your game is going well, try not to get hung up on the little problems because that's what I find myself doing. Like the whole main game is going pretty good. And then some little things not working and I let it get me down and get me bummed out about the whole project. So I'm trying to get better at that and just see the big picture.
1: Yeah. Like May little little things do get me and i completely like agree with what you're saying like the smallest things can get me when it comes to my game development i'm sort of like a perfectionist when it comes to the smallest details when it comes to my art so don't be like that
0: (laughs) you know it's it's a it's a it's a strange thing though because it's like you kind of have to be like that to make really cool stuff but then it Mm -hmm. can also destroy you easily too
1: Yeah, it's a curse and a blessing. Yeah. What was the name of your other game with the curse? Aya the curse. Is that the eye of the curse? No, Aya, like A-Y-A. Oh, okay, Aya
0: the curse. (laughs) So she's the one cursing us with perfectionism. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that's your marketing spin. You're like, now you have to go beat Aya because she's cursing all our game development. Um, (laughs) So cool thanks for being on harlequin i wish you luck with remaking toy box unleashed um we'll post all the links uh, for your games and all the stuff we were talking about in the show notes and yeah yeah. so thanks for having me yeah thanks for being on the show